Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This episode is a live recording that took place on Sunday, April 26th. Hosted by SICRI's webinar coordinator, Menvinder Kaur, is joined by former graduates of SICRI's CIDIC program, who are now working on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis. As this was a live session, you may notice audio become a bit unclear, but bear with us as hearing the personal stories in this episode can provide an enlightening perspective. And if you would prefer to watch the original video, head on over to SICRI's Facebook page or YouTube. Vaigurjika Kalsa, Vaigurjiki Fate. Thank you all for joining today's webinar hosted by the Sikh Research Institute. My name is Madhvinder Kaur. Um, I would like to begin uh, just by giving some brief introductory information. As a global nonprofit organization, we produce original online courses, research papers, videos, podcasts, events, and books to create the largest go to source of Sikh knowledge online. Now I have the pleasure of introducing you to our presentation and our presenters. As we continue to navigate social distancing together, we wanted to be able to engage the Sangeet in a conversation with frontline workers. Uh, so first we have Dr. Burinder Singh. He is a family physician working in Vancouver, British Columbia. His work is informed by his relationship with Sikhi, and he has been a consumer and volunteer of Sikri for over a decade now, including attending Siddiq in 2016. During the COVID-19 pandemic, he has been actively involved in frontline care and strategic planning for primary care response in Vancouver and Burnaby. Dr. Manjot Kaur is an emergency medicine physician in the last months of her residency at Louisiana State University. During the COVID-19 pandemic, she has been a frontline responder in New Orleans. Manjot attended Siddiq in the early 2000s during her formative years. Her Gurmit education via family, Sangat, and programs such as Siddiq has inspired activism and recognition of the human condition. And lastly, we have Dr. Sharandeep Singh. He is an activist, educator, and philanthropist residing in Scotland, UK. He's working as an anesthesiology and ICU resident in Scotland. Since attending Siddiq in 2011, he has been inspired by the values of Ekwankar, leading innovations in Gurmit education among Scottish Sikh youth. In response to the coronavirus pandemic, he co-founded the Sikh Food Bank in March 2020 to serve those in need. Hello, welcome. Vaigurjika Khalsa, Vaigurjika Fate. So I think I'd like to begin this conversation um, perhaps starting by going around just so the audience can get to know everyone a little bit better. Um, taking a few minutes to share uh, your experience with Siddiq year you attended perhaps which you the lessons that you took away um and perhaps the lessons that you still carry with you today um maybe we can start with you for Siddiq yes yeah. everyone I attended Siddiq in in my formative years probably um early high school mm -hmm. and I think that some of the best lessons I took away from that are that um we have all the agency to interpret good Barney for ourselves mm -hmm. and we don't need to depend on a middleman. Um, all the tools are out there. And even if we can't memorize the tuk or know all the Barney's out there, I know I don't. Um, anytime in the world around us, we um, feel our common sense intuition mm -hmm. um, or our gut align with uh, our thought process. Um, 
and it's love-oriented, there's a token Gurbani or a Sakhi in Sikh history that will probably send that same message. Mm-hmm. So really uh, just about opening our hearts and being more aware of our own intuitions. I think that's that's what I got out of that. Um, and then I, I left uh, my last year definitely um, more inspired to like stay rooted and not forget why we go into the things we go into, into the real world activism and social justice became mm-hmm. even more a journey of that same love that's uh, driven by Gurbani's message. Definitely. Thank you for sharing. Um, Brandon? Well, you just thought so. Yeah, no, I've um, been part of Sikri Periphery since close to its inception. Um, family was involved in um, when Sikri was introducing Canada in the early 2000s. Um, never had a chance to do civic until after I completed my medical education. So I finished um, my residency of family medicine in 2015 and in July. And then I spent that uh, summer to take an opportunity finally attempt civic. And I ended up um, attending the 101 track, which I believe is still the same track that's offered, one of the tracks that's still offered now. Um, which is uh, it's an introduction to kind of history and theology, but it's so much more than that. I mean, uh, with civic, um, it, it really independent of whatever track you do, mm-hmm. um, the experience um, transcends the track, and there's a lot of shared learning experiences um, and a lot of some of the activities that you do. Um, to connect with each other and uh, so the experience itself um, was, was amazing and um, technically there was a lot of time spent on um, Santia and um, learning Asakivar and really doing a deep dive into Asakivar mm-hmm. you know, that, uh, that experience still stays with me today whether um, driving if I can't wake up in the morning before a shift to do it or just always have a listening and reminiscing and that Recollecting on the teaching specifically in Afghanistan, and um, you know, I, even uh, just, uh, that informs uh, my life today. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Shanti, sorry. Uh, it's a pleasure to uh, join uh, uh, you guys here um, on today's webinar. A really kind of uh, relevant topic at the moment, um, and thank you for everyone to who's tuning in um, around the world. Um, so I attended um, Civic in 2011. Um, so it seems quite uh, scary to think it's nearly <laughs> 10 years ago now that I, I attended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was in medical school at the time um, when I um, was invited to attend. Um, and I think probably um, it's been one of the most um, kind of, you know, life-defining uh, experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, for two weeks of instruction and education um, by the Seed Research Institute has actually inspired me uh, to go out back into my communities here in Scotland um, to uh, come up with new and innovative ways to um, share the message of Sikhi, the inspirational message of the Guru Granth Sahib, um, and really make it a, an extremely relevant um, message um, and also to implement practical solutions. Mm-hmm. That for me was what was the kind of eye-opening um, learning that I gained um, from from Civic, uh, the CQ201 track which I attended, which mm-hmm. was 
looking and examining the uh, kind of manifesto that was in the Guru Granth Sahib mm-hmm. and then looking at the Guru's lives and seeing how they, all the 10 of the Gurus created um, practical real life institutions to actually achieve that in, in reality for society at large. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that for me, uh, whether through my personal career or through my community work, through the seva that I do, um, that's what I've tried to achieve is always being connected to the values of Guru Granth Sahib and, mm-hmm. and then coming up with projects and programs and solutions um, in society that will actually help us to deliver those. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think you, um, all three of you kind of touched upon it, um, but perhaps we could delve a little deeper again, just a round table um, on how these fundamental understandings um, of Sikhi shape both um, why you decided to pursue this career path, as you all are in the medical field right now, um, and how you engage uh, these understandings in your work. Um, perhaps again, Manjot, if you don't mind, we could start with you. Yeah, I'll keep it pretty simple and short. Um, I'm actually looking at it at my wall right now. Ever since I've been in high school, one of my cousins brought back this painting of calligraphy of a Tukka and Gurbani that have become my motto for my my path or journey, mm-hmm. especially professionally. Um, you know, Joto Prem Kailan Ka Chao Sirta Dali Gali Mariao Itmarak Bartari Jai Sirdi Jai Karna Ki And as you know, a millennial brown kid growing up in the States, not mm-hmm. really fitting in, I just identify with that saying, if you want to play this game of love, Come to me with your head in your palm. And when you set foot on this path, there's no looking back. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I've gone. There's no looking back. You know, I'm in it and I'm in it for real. Mm-hmm. And what that means, you know, to another person, how they define their Sikhi. I think with, for every Sikh, that def- definition is extremely personal. Apart from the Rahat Mariada, there are things that even those who don't follow the Rahat um, can personally identify with and are extremely inspired with. By And I think that the writings in Gurbani reflect that as well with the mm-hmm. folks that the Guru decided to include in Guru Granth Sahib, that there's so many people who are inspired mm-hmm. by the Sikh way of life and Sikh philosophy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that can keep them committed to the journey that that is love-oriented mm-hmm. and therefore Guru-oriented, mm-hmm. that's everything. Mm-hmm. So that was my, that was my biggest um, takeaway professionally. That has really helped me stay resilient and strong mm-hmm. because the microaggressions and the difficulties, they don't end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know? And uh, working right now during the COVID era has definitely highlighted that as well. But Gurbani doesn't serve as a patch on a leak. Rather, it helps me redirect my energy so that it continues to flow while the leak wherever that hole or holes may be can heal on their own mm-hmm. and I think if we take that lens for me at least when I take that lens away f- from oh yeah you know here's my solution I'm going to use bot or whatever mm-hmm. to patch this leak and somehow it's going to stop and shift my lens to no the body is going to be how I redirect the flow of my energy so mm-hmm. that I can feel however I need to mm-hmm. you know it really, it really helps me um, stay grounded and see see more of what my purpose is and where the guru is in my life for me. You know, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's amazing. What about you guys? Yeah, no, that's, um, I think, no worries. <laughs> this personal relationship um, is very important, I think. Um, Sharandeep? Yeah, so I suppose um, it's often kind of joked about the stereotypical career paths of brown <laughs> and Asian, Asian kids, you know, <laughs> accountants or doctors and things like that. And hmm. it's, it's just kind of, you know, made as a little joke. But I think it does really connect back to, you know, especially at times that we're living through now, uh-huh. we are seeing, um, you know, how the ways in which we can serve society and the public at large. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of careers and not a lot of jobs that let you earn your keep and also do a type of seva. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of them, but I feel really privileged to be in a career that does allow me to serve those who are in need, uh, underprivileged communities, mm-hmm. um, or to be able to utilize my professional skills um, in, a, in, in, in an era where they are needed. Um, and I do feel that that was partly inspired by, um, you know, the Sikh values of Seva that kind of directed me towards um, a career of public service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of very much connected um, that I wanted to be able to, through my personal life and through my professional life, um, whether that's volunteering or working, mm-hmm. kind of have that flavour, have that element of Sikhi and Seva uh, throughout. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah, it's definitely. Thank you for sharing. Uh, and thank you for coming back, Brinder. Um, I hope everything is good now. Um, yeah, I'll just reframe the question for you. Um, we've just been speaking um, about kind of the fundamental values that we spoke about, or sorry, that you guys spoke about um, at the beginning uh, that you perhaps gained a little from civic um, and how those shape um, why you decided to pursue your career path and how you engage um, with your work currently. Sure. No, um, that's great. Is this uh, coming through clearer now? Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. We can also great. Sorry, we had a bit of sound issues before. So yeah, no. Um, um, it's very similar to what um and Kora and Shrandeep Singh have already um shared. But you know, for me, um, medicine uh was the norm. I come from a family of where we have had um, the privilege of having some physicians in our family before, and so it was the normal. But it wasn't. You know, you can go through all your training um, and still come out the other side trying to find where you fit in um, every field that we go into. There's lots of um, uh, variability and variety available to us. So uh, a lot of my focusing on what I was going to do came after I was, you know, we worked around lots of different settings from acute care to um, outpatient primary care and different models of care. Mm-hmm. And now I've work uh, landed in this um, setting where I'm working in a community health center where we deal with a lot of patients with addictions, mental health issues, transgender issues, refugees. Um, mm-hmm. And that is where I really found, um, you know, inspiration in my work. And that's where we really saw a lot of uh, my, uh, my Sikhi influence uh, being able to be applied on a daily basis rather than mm-hmm. just, um, you know, doing the grind as some of us have to do in our work. Um, and so, you know, every day is a unique experience and um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people have who face a lot of barriers in care. Um, we had already been adapting our work to uh, be a, being able to provide care to them. And so we were well set up um, to handle the, st- the stresses of today's world. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Um- 
Thank you for sharing, um, everyone. Mm -hmm. um, something that I'm particularly interested in um, is are all of our um, li literal physical uh, locations and how those have each been impacted by COVID-19. Um, perhaps, Sharon Beebe, you could start first this time. Yeah, so I come from a little old country called Scotland, <laughs> uh, which is um, kind of uh, associated with uh, the United Kingdom and Great Britain. I was born and brought up here, um, it's a country of about five, five and a half million. Um, so on a population level, fairly small, but um, through uh, historical impact, um, it's, it's well known worldwide. And mm -hmm. It's very famous. Uh, similar to the Sikhs, I suppose, uh, we're a small population. Um, but are globally renowned. Um, so uh, through specific lens, looking at what's going on just now in terms of the coronavirus um, uh, pandemic, um, it feels like we've been living in this kind of era forever, um, really, really long time. It's been the topic of conversation, headline news for so long. But relatively, it's, it's only really been a, a major issue in this country for about maybe two, two and a half months. Mm -hmm. uh, we all know the coronavirus um, pandemic started in China in November, December last year and kind of slowly and progressively worked its way uh, around the world. Um, from a professional point of view um, and, and a Scottish uh, angle, um, mm -hmm. we were fairly lucky in one sense that we were able to uh, observe how the pandemic, how the virus was playing out in, yeah. in other countries. Um, it only really became very real for us, I would say, on a general population level through the conversations I was having at work mm -hmm. and with friends and family when we started to see the pictures coming out of Italy, um, who sadly were, you know, extremely, extremely hard hit um, and were slightly overwhelmed by the numbers. Um, mm -hmm. Their health systems became very overwhelmed. Um, and uh, that was a real wake up moment for us. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, our health managers, our politicians really pulled their socks up at that point and, and thought, you know, there's something that major that we have to do. And that's when I think the narrative changed uh, mm -hmm. from just being, you know, a little bit like the flu or, you know, like a common cold, mm -hmm. um, where suddenly people were trying, you know, people were using words like battle ready and, and you know, we've got to kind of be, you know, into a war footing. Um, mm -hmm. That's when we realised that it was going to be as dramatic as that. So what happened following on from that within the NHS of Scotland, which is like a centralised health system, it's, yeah. it's public health care, free at the point of use, it's nationalised. Um, and, and that, I think, was actually quite a useful system to deal with a virus like this, mm -hmm. because once the decision came from the top, um, everyone in that system very quickly mobilised. Mm -hmm. And there was little pockets of, you know, one system, you know, having different priorities compared to another one. Mm -hmm. This was a population pandemic and the health service was was organising on a population level. Mm -hmm. So my normal day-to-day -day work as an anesthesiologist mm -hmm. and intensive care resident um, on a, on a work Monday to Friday week, I would be doing like theatre lists, anesthetising patients for different operations. Okay. And then I would also be doing like ward rounds on the intensive care, assessing maybe patients who have had a car accident or serious infections. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when it came to redesigning the system for the coronavirus crisis, what we had to do was go back to beginning. We mm -hmm. had to just rip out the playbook. We cancelled all elective surgery. Um, and we have about 12 theatres in my hospital. So we're doing hundreds of operations a week. Everything got completely cancelled. All of the staff, all of the theatre nurses, 
all of the surgeons, all of the anesthetists were completely redeployed. So we were really focused on how we were going to be uh, dealing with the coronavirus crisis. We then also tripled our intensive care beds mm -hmm. uh, to be able to prepare for the patients who were going to be having the need for ventilators and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, from a, as, the, as the pandemic developed, um, we um, had a quick lockdown, which is where the whole social distancing, all those kind of rules came into place. Mm -hmm. And luckily, um, we are starting to see a, a plateau in the number of cases. Um, and we think that the public health measures that have been introduced have worked and are working, and they're allowing our health service to cope um, with those numbers. From a personal point of view and, and reflecting on how Sikhi's helped me through this, um, you know, as as medical professionals, we were kind of in the know uh, early on. You know, we were getting all the intelligence about what was going on, and we were, um, you know, mentally preparing ourselves perhaps a lot earlier than the general population. So we all have had a significant kind of mental burden and emotional toll. You know, we've all got family members. I remember sitting in the tea room of my department and, uh, you know, all of us, we were talking about which of our elderly family members were the most at risk. Mm -hmm. And it was a really sobering conversation to have because, you know, I was talking about my dad who's got, you know, certain health problems. And then one of my other colleagues was talking about their parents who've got certain health problems. And it was then we realized, actually, we're not immune from this. Um, you know, it's not a doctors versus patients thing. It's like we're all in this together. I and mean, then all of us are, are kind of at risk. So it was uh, kind of, uh, you know, an emotional time slightly. Um, but then our professional duty kicked in and our, well, for me personally, you know, my uh, time to reflect on Gurbani and Kirtan uh, was a moment for me to be able to get solace and, and uh, inspiration to, you know, keep doing and have the Jardi Gala spirit. Um, through these difficult times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Sharandeep. Perhaps um, speaking a little more about um, how healthcare workers um, can also be patients. Um, perhaps Manjot, as someone who has been who has contracted coronavirus, um, perhaps you could speak a little about that experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to Briefly about New Orleans, um, New Orleans is a predominantly black city and this is also one of the cities that um, was one of the latest to desegregate. So socially and politically and economically, there have been barriers already with access to many resources, including health and healthcare. Um, there is fear of the healthcare system. There is great disease in the community. Um, and we have seen the asymmetrically devastating impact on our Black patients here. And the data is being processed as we speak. You know, we have the anecdotal evidence. We're seeing it with our eyes. Um, and that for me personally already um, highlights the things that I went into medicine for, you know, really for the justice in it. And my particular interest is in social emergency medicine and advocating for those who um, who are underserved no matter how. Um, and March was definitely like battlefield medicine for us. Um, we were organized to some degree, but uh, 
I still remember the day I had one COVID rule out, March maybe 9th. And the next day I walk into the same 14 bed area that I'm responsible for. And all of a sudden, except for one brain bleed, everyone is COVID. And at that time, our infection control policy was only to test those who had been to China. And Andro, I was like, no, like this is not okay. So we sat there, we found our ID attending, our infectious disease attending in the hospital who works with the Department of Health. And I was like, I have the, this list of patients right here. And until I get, because we could not, we were not legally allowed to test them at that point. Until I got her permission and went through each patient with her, those patients, it wasn't decided whether, whether they were going to be sent home or admitted. And even if they were being admitted, um, I wanted to make sure their test didn't fall through the cracks. And within hours, if not a day after that, finally, the policy became more reflective of a community-acquired problem, something that's spreading in the community rather than just something that you get if you went to China. Um, and at the same time, we um, we were running out of supplies. You know, I remember I did a procedure and I could smell the breath of my patient through my masks. Um, and these are masks that are supposed to protect us from getting the infection. Um, it was my birthday, the first day I got my first exposure call. And um, um, the day I tested positive was probably the same day I got a list of all the patients I had already known I was exposed to. So it's ironic, the information, the way it was delivered on the kinds of days it was delivered. And prior to me getting tested, I was very fatigued. You know, I was, I couldn't understand. I'd done the fatigue and burnout survey that had been distributed nationally for all resident physicians. And I think really healthcare professionals going through this. It asked about if we're sleeping less than five hours, um, if we're having nightmares, if we're having emotional outbursts, if our family can't or won't see us due to their risk of infection, if our loved ones in general are distancing themselves from us, whether we feel completely isolated, um, not because it's a mandatory regulation by the government, but because of the, the nature of our current conditions right now as healthcare professionals in as frontline workers. They, um, you know, obviously all those answers were positive for me, um, you know. Um, I got started getting more and more tired, though. I remember I did this crash procedure one day, a pericardiocentesis. It's when you basically stab the chest to drain blood around the heart on a patient whose heart stopped beating. This is a procedure that most people don't do in real life anymore because usually you don't need to. But our this our medically sick patients were really sick. And that day, I remember I was fighting to maintain like consciousness. I was just tired. And I thought it was the stress. And then I got waves of feeling chills, et cetera. And days later, I um, I slept maybe 16 hours after a shift, having had slept before that. I did not have a fever. They were checking our temperatures. I was less than 100.4, which here in the US, I think in medicine, we consider a fever, right? Anything above 100.4 Fahrenheit. Um, but um, I... I had all the atypical symptoms like fatigue. And then eventually within days, my I have allergies all the time. Um, my allergies got even worse. The allergy medicines weren't working. I felt like I had a sinus infection and um, the cough did come on. 
but my most severe symptom was fatigue and this crazy difficult headache. And that's when I knew I had to get tested. And the only reason I knew is because I had the privilege of having met patients who had been treated for, quote, sinus infections, even abdominal pain, which initially they thought 10% of patients have, but uh, later research showed it was up to 50%, um, you know? And I remember having to fight and advocate for my patients who my superiors felt didn't warrant testing because they didn't have fever plus cough. And the only reason I knew to pay attention was because I had the honor to serve for those patients and fight for them. And it's definitely the sikhi within me that's the fight within me. I'll tell you that every time, every time I have to fight for myself or my patient or what I think is just, I go back to something from Sikh history, something from a Tarmagit, anything that just sustains my spirit when I feel like the world around me is trying to <laughs> squeeze it. Having COVID was definitely um, difficult. You know, it didn't just end like the flu in a couple days. Um, I was alone. So I brought my tea kettle to my room. I took control over whatever I could take control over. Um, it was one of the few times I have like slept properly. You know, my sleep was affected, but I was so fatigued. I finally slept. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of us don't like to be weak, no matter in what form, physically or mentally or psychologically. But this was a time when I had to become open and honest. I knew I was alone. I knew I could take care of myself. But I also had to be honest that, yes, I am. I'm going through a difficult time psychologically, mentally and physically, too. And I think sharing my experiences has been healing for me, but it also helped me relate to my loved ones. I know that I would call home some days and chew my family out because they were not practicing the measures that I felt were appropriate. I remember the day I begged my dad to work from home and stop driving to DC. And for some reason, it was just not clicking. And eventually it did, but when it clicked for them was maybe when I got COVID around then, but, um, that was maybe 15 days after what I had seen and what that's why I was begging them. I remember I got on the WhatsApp group for my family and I was like, please, just please listen. Like, please know this is real. You know, I understand that in parts of the United States, it's a little bit harder to feel like, uh, you know, we should be following all this. People are itching to go back to quote life. But what is life? What is living? You know, is being addicted to partying on Saturday night and going out to the club and, you know, having your little tea party or job party on Saturdays with your girlfriends really life or living? Is there another way to redirect our lens on how we live? Um, is eating takeout and going out to fancy five star restaurants really living is eating food out of cans and boxes that's dumped on plates and provided to you in a fancy looking building really food or is eating stuff that actually grew out the ground and off a tree or something and cooking it food and life and and if we're eating life perhaps we're living but if we're not eating life then are we really living you know uh, it's a time to redirect our lens on really what what it means and at the same time, um, in our community, especially, depression, mental health disease, 
ਜਿੰਨਾ ਮੈਂ ਰੋਈ ਆ ਪਿਛਲੇ ਮਹੀਨੇ ਡੇਟਸ ਆਈ ਹੈਵ ਨੈਵਰ ਕ੍ਰਾਈਡ ਥਿਸ ਮਚ ਪਰ ਅਸੀਂ ਇਹ ਜਿਹੀਆਂ ਗੱਲਾਂ ਬਾਰੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਲਾਈਕ ਗੱਲ ਨਹੀਂ ਕਰਦੇ ਤੇ ਅਸੀਂ ਇਹਨਾਂ ਤੋਂ ਡਰਦੇ ਆ ਝਿਜਕਦੇ ਆ and sometimes i cried cuz i'm mad that i'm weak so i suffer the same problem <laughs> um but this is the time you know in medicine we have something they call adjustment disorder when a couple factors from either your financial physical mental life your geographic location or your career change every person in the world meets the criteria for adjustment disorder and when that kind of period happens in a in an individual's life it will exacerbate underlying things that we may or may not be aware of whether it's anxiety or depression or substance abuse or issues that we have with how we treat others maybe a personality thing that we just never really got a chance to heal or really investigate or heal from you know this is the time to open our hearts and love ourselves and love those around us and really really be okay with the fact that we we can be weak you know so really interesting point she said there mindjo actually found quite insightful um uh, particularly about kind of uh, you know the the gravity and the scale of the disaster um and particularly about what we regard as normal um and i think that's a really good point because there's few times you know they have the which kush kush sami on there uh you know jado ek bada hadsa hunda ya or you know ek bada event hunda ya te us to baad you know jehdi change makers hunde ya jehdi sochde ya ve sanu hor koi tarika labna pauga samaj badal nahi that is a moment in time i think this is a moment in time this is a moment in history where we've had such a big shock to our global system whether that's our economic system whether that's our social system or whether that's our like personal life um or, or you know if you look at things like the, the the major climate emergencies um the major economic inequalities in the world um that where you know I hope that this is a point in time where we can actually maybe start to reset some of those uh some of those inequalities some of those major challenges because it's been such a major shock to the system and you know I, I like to follow the news and read some of the kind of commentary um and there's some really really interesting discussions going on um by like economists and academics to to try and think about how can we redesign our our world on a personal level and also on a on a kind of macro level and a, a global yeah. level so i think that's a really interesting and exciting discussion um and i think that as six then i think we also do uh those of us that have that concern um should you know be at the forefront and as a fund and a fund we should maybe start you know once we're over the initial kind of um you know the emergency response um we may need to pivot to start to look at and think about how we can redesign our world in a more uh you know a gurmat oriented way mm-hmm. yeah deconstructing and challenging the norm and then falling in love with this beautiful mat we've been given our imagination to reimagine without borders uh, a society or a world around us i think is a, a an something we owe ourselves you know we should not accept people who are so unintelligent that they are willing to talk about injecting toxic substances into your bloodstream as a possible therapy seriously 
on a presidential level, when literally less than a week ago, there are articles in average Joe's newspaper that every American out there who has access to or ability to read a newspaper knows poison control calls have gone up in the month of March already from poisoning from and disinfectants. You know, you already know the threat of this issue. And as a leader, we have we we are accepting this kind of norm. I mean, this is almost a, like a divine joke by the universe. You know, there's no way that this is the reflection of the intellect of the average American. I actually remember reading um, the there's some you know uh, article that I read in one of the newspapers, and the journalist was saying that we are actually we're living through two pandemics now. One is the coronavirus pandemic, and the second is the fake news pandemic. <laughs> which I really feel is a feature of our life within the last kind of, you know, five years or so, where suddenly the, the kind of disinformation and the kind of uh, distraction, um, the sowing of doubt um, in the general population um, has become such a coordinated strategy um, by certain actors. Um, and I, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, now it's crossing both, you know, our fields where we're not having to just deal with the virus, but we're also having to deal with, the disinformation um, about how to how to treat it, and we all try and practice like evidence based medicine. Um, mm -hmm. You know, test and trial something before we say this is safe. Um, and I know that often you have to, you know, sometimes when I look through my mom's WhatsApp, well, they would give me a message. I hope they have a strada pani pivo, that coronavirus tardi tardi lagini auga, idanda pani pivo, nimbuala pivo, tata karke, feta coronavirus nai auga. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting to see how things that we regard as, you know, great um, innovation tools, you know, like the communication tools that we have now, how they, how they can become corrupted. Um, and I remember, you know, from Siddiq, the idea of the big bud, which is a, a, a line in, in Gurbani and also, also a Gurumath term, which is actually to use your like discriminatory knowledge to actually just that's what we've been gifted with as human beings. We have this intellect that allows us to discriminate what's right and what's wrong what's truth and what's a lie um and and i think that's something that we all try and develop um through our gurdwaras and hopefully you know we're, and it's been actually really interesting i feel that looking at what's going on within the com um i i've been quite heartened to see some of the news coming out from some of the the sikh leaders i know oftentimes that our sikh leadership has often failed us but I feel that the current Akal Takh Jatidar, Gani Harpreet Singh, um, really interesting commentaries he's made um, in response to like some of the Indian government statements, whether that be against like, you know, the fake news against Muslims. I remember they were trying to say in Indian news that oh, it's Muslims that are spreading the coronavirus. And he actually came out with a really strong statement and, and instructed the Sikh community, you know, not to fall for this fake news to make sure that we are abiding by the values of Guru Nanak and we are not discriminating against any communities. And that for me was a really noble uh, observation. It's not often that I've seen, you know, the, the Sikh leadership actually be open and proactive in making these statements. Um, so I think that's a really interesting observation as an individual um, to have seen that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you all for sharing these insightful, um, yeah, your personal experiences. Um, and perhaps to kind of bring the audience in, I would like to just remind everyone um, that if they still, if they have a question, they are welcome to uh, ask it in our chat window. Um, just 
state your name and your city and your question, and any of our panelists will be happy to answer your question. And perhaps bringing Berinda back into the conversation. Um, I know we've been talking about how this is a collective trauma, um, but then this is also impacting everyone on an individual um, basis. Um, as healthcare workers, um, what is your advice for those tuning in um, for your own families who love and fear for you as you are frontline workers um, and those and for those who are joining us um, who may have loved ones on the front lines? Sure, yeah, no. Um... It's been a good discussion so far. Um, what I just picking up on a few points that have been mentioned, uh, you know, there, it, it, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think that um, we're really forced to uh, think about our psyche in a way of it. Can we accept Hukum the way it is right now and everything that's happening is Hukum? And, you know, there's something poetic about the timing that this has happened and with everything else going on in the world. And for us, um, um, uh, all of us who identify with Sikhi that, you know, Vasaki did fall in the middle of this too. And, you know, what was Vasaki? Vasaki was Guru Sahib putting his uh, faith and leadership in the bunt. And um, that's what uh, Shurandeep Singh was kind of mentioning right now, that we have been fortunate that there has been a lot of leadership um, within the Sikh community. And I've seen that um, happening in multiple locations. Um, you know, I was part of a campaign locally here called Virtual Vasaki, which was um, a group of um, Gurdwale and um, our local Sikh organizations who came together for a central response, whether it was giving people food who needed it or supplies who needed it or just um, connecting with counseling services or any other uh, care needs. So there was, you know, a group of probably 30 to 40 people representing different organizations locally. And we just all got together and the, you know, civic as part of leadership training was pushing us to um, adapt to an environment we're not used to and uh, um, challenge ourselves and our own capacity. And I think on a community level, we've been doing that. And just touching on a point of what Sharandeep uh, Singh said too about, uh, you know, we are living in an age of misinformation. Um, there, we, we, we need to uh, fine tune that a bit too. There are people who have uh, spread misinformation for personal gain, um, or whether that's economic or political or strategic, they're doing it out of selfish reason. There are other people who are doing it out of fear. They're doing it because they don't know what's worked. And we're all operating on a basis where we would love to have evidence-based medicine, evidence-informed treatments to approaches, but that evidence doesn't exist. And you know, when we get back to it, uh, you know, we have a chance. Perhaps Manjotha Kaur can share her experience. Uh, um, you know, we've a lot. A lot of us sort of have heard about hydroxychloroquine and um, other uh, experimental treatments in the community, and uh, uh, sorry, in in uh, our own circles and in the media and in the medical circles too. And um, drugs do have a role to play, but um, everything we give you is a double-edged sword. Everything, any any treatment has potential side effects and. Um, we have to think about the downstream effect. Now, coming back to your question about, uh, <laughs> um, sorry, if you could just repeat it. I just wanted to get those points, but it was really about um, how we can. Yeah, definitely. I can, um, yeah. for following up on all of the yeah. important conversations that are being had. Um, my question was kind of um, centering around trauma, um, mm. uh, kind of the collective nature of COVID, but mm. also the individual nature because it sure. is 
affecting different communities in different capacities. Um, mm -hmm. But also thinking about um, this community that uh, th the three of you belong to, so healthcare workers. Um, what is your advice for people that love you and fear for you as you go to work every day? Um, for those joining us who may have loved ones um, on the front lines, what is your advice to them? How can they support healthcare workers and frontline workers? Thank you. Yeah, so I think that um, we're in a unique space where, um, you know, there's a well-defined disorder within uh, medical literature and experience about post-traumatic stress disorder, but a lot of us are facing pre or peri stress disorder at this point where we're anticipating more stress we're living the stress right now and we can already see the downstream effects of it so part of that is um having ongoing preparation um, for ourselves on an individual and community level and how we can prepare for the collective trauma that is happening for us and how we can do that on an individual basis and for our own families um, and a lot of that we are fortunate um, that we can use our Punjabiness or our Sikhiness um, to inform our responses to that, which is where we do draw on the uh, our communal nature and our connection with each other, um, and you know what 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 is a kunkar, right? Like we are all connected, we are all one, and so we, if we draw on that, um, we we know that there's a lot of uncertainty right now, and we have to. I mean, my number one piece of advice is that we need to prepare ourselves that this is a marathon, not a sprint. We're going to be in this for a while. So we need to pace ourselves, whether that's on our individual level on how we're working, on our community level on how we're giving. Because we, we can't anticipate three, six months, nine months down the road where each of us are going to be. And in saying that, um, another point that Shrindi um, Singh made was about leadership. And you know we can see um, where leadership from our public health and our political leaders really does play an important role here. You see uh, where Manjot was forced to operate on a level where she had to advocate for her patients to get testing done despite their policy or lack of policy. Their, uh, you know, th that was her experience. Whereas um, some of us had the experience of, we could see uh, we had good public health leadership and um, seeing other places in the world and that could help inform our own strategy so i think that all of us are at different places in this trajectory and our our, our responses have to be uh individual to what our local environment is so as as six we have an incredible capacity to give so we have to look at our own local experience to see where the local need is because it is our responsibility as six to be on the front lines protecting people. That doesn't necessarily mean on a medical sense. It means on it could be a community, it could be in your family. It could be just making sure you're the person that can disseminate reliable information within your own communities, that you're already doing a service by doing that. Um, for our family members that are concerned about us, you know, we will be okay. Um, we 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 know the risks. We know from personal protective equipment, having a you know kulidari is not going to be helpful to protecting yourself against pathogens. But you got to do it, and maybe shouldn't be seeing working in ten, intensive care. Um, he can speak on that if necessary. But you know, um, from a personal protective equipment point of view, if you have access to equipment, you should make sure that frontline workers are having. Um, the um, access to uh, medical grade equipment. We know, uh, you know, that there's been confusing, um, 
literature coming out, confusing discussions happening, and there's a lot. It's it, it's hard to trust information when there's so much pivoting. But that's the nature of this disease that we're learning on the fly, and so uh, recommendations are coming out based on the most evidence that's available to us. Um, and it takes time to build robust evidence. We're fighting uh, time of where we want to build that evidence while we're watching people die. And so, you know, there is, a, and that's where I think a lot of our, um, these discussions online and the forwards on WhatsApp come from is because people are trying to get ahead of it, but we can't, we can't, um, uh, you know, sacrifice our critical thinking for a quick result. There's no quick fix to this. So trust your professionals and, um, you know, try to um, have your, your Sikhi inspire you um, to, to come together as a community to respond. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. Um, if anyone has a very clear fact versus myth, like Brinder has brought up, um, just put it in the Q&A and we will answer it right away. If there's something you heard about, and maybe you want to disseminate it and would like our opinions. We would love to um, hear your questions and thoughts. Um, I know that there are some things about, you know, just natural, natural remedies. Obviously nothing in excess is healthy, but there is no harm in adrak or haldi or garam pani or nimbu in life. Ota vasevi karna chaida, vasevi thanda pani nahi jade pina chaida, acid build up ho jandiya. We know these things. And to do it when you're sick is even better because um, that's when your body is even more fragile to maintain healthy practices, right? You know, whatever those ideas and remedies are when they are going back to natural, being more natural, that's fine. I don't know about it being a cure, but um, we can at least still encourage people to do these things but perhaps with a different message so that they don't get confused and think I remember I did get um, multiple messages I know the the message on chloroquine came out I was I wasn't even reading the news I was seeing I was living the news and the numbers our tests were taking five days to come back three days to come back so that was Mary Asliyat from a week ago, right? So one day I got a call from my relative, and I was like, what? And I looked, I knew the Dwai because it's an ant malaria the medicine. like India I never liked anti-malarials. But now that I had gone to medical school and studied the drug, I knew there was other stuff I didn't like about it. So I mentioned my concern. I was like, listen, I don't need oxygen right now. I think I'm good. I know we're doing this as a research drug, like a trial drug on our patients who are critical, but I don't feel I should experiment. And my relative was like, no, no, you have to take it. You know, they, they were so worried about me. They said it because they didn't want to lose me. I could tell. They were ready to drive overnight with my dad and come get me. Obviously, I had to say no, stay awake. But when it came to the medication, my heart broke a little bit because they were pushing for me to take it. And another one called and said they could even get it to me because someone else takes it for another reason. And 
for lupus. And I, I felt their love. I know it was all out of love, but the medicine had a cardiac side effect that concerned me a lot. And I drugs are not benign. Pharmaceutical drugs are legal drugs. The key word is drug. There's so much benefit to them that the federal government approves them. In this case, the government hadn't even approved it as a treatment based on research. It was because... We were just throwing the whole kitchen sink. And here there was some loose information. They said, go ahead, let's just try it. For some reason, my intuition, my four years of medical school, my knowledge about side effects wasn't enough to overpower the message my relatives felt because they just were worried and loved me. Mm-hmm. So uh, all I can say is try to keep your minds open if you have a loved one in the healthcare field, you want to ask about drugs, you know, if they're hesitant to take one themselves or they have an opinion, you know, it might be just because they had to study for exams for many, many hours and memorize these side effects and all that. You know, they, they might have some intuition that's a little bit more informed uh, from their studies. And eventually, you know, now, now, for example, we have research that's showing that these medicines that were initially advocated for are causing those same side effects we were worried about. You know, the heart is getting affected really badly and patients are actually dying more. So, like, you know, concern, you know, just please remember, drugs are not benign, you know, um, and anything in excess, even adrak and haldi and garam pani or any pani can be very dangerous. Harchij, apne, you know, like, yeah, and I'll just take it like you would normally, you know? There's a couple of things I wanted to comment on. Um, one is, you know, it's a thought that's crossed my mind, and I don't know if it, we were kind of figured out what's going to happen yet, but obviously we are all in the diaspora communities, um, but, you know, our majority population is in within Punjab, um, and uh, their health systems there are obviously not as developed as ours are in the West. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how the impact of COVID is uh, in those areas um, and, uh, you know, whether the, you know, we have the luxury of testing and we have really well-developed intensive care facilities and oxygen supplies, et cetera, et cetera. And even in our countries, we are being stretched. Um, so, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just curious, uh, you know, if anyone has had any kind of uh, information as to how things are, you know, back in South Asia. Uh, or whether there's any institutions or organizations out there that are mobilizing. Um, I know that, you know, often there's quite well-developed like disaster relief charities or like longer aid charities. Um, And I wonder whether there's anything that, you know, as a community we need to be thinking about um, regarding, uh, you know, developing a health infrastructure in places like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think um, that is definitely a conversation that needs to happen. One one just final point that I think that you know, we didn't get a chance to mention, even though there's lots of um, there are lots of um, uncertainties out there right now. What mm-hmm. we know has been working. The countries that are getting ahead of it, it's really the basics. 
your hand hygiene, your uh, physical distancing. Now, be wary of using the term social distancing because we don't want people to be socially isolated. That's just setting you up for failure. But be physically distanced and socially connected. That is what is working and be patient. And for um, if you're looking for resources in Gurmukhi um, script, I, I've been working with an organization, the North American Sick uh, Medical and Dental Association. We have information on anxiety, how to do seva, how to stay connected, facts versus um, myths. Uh, it's both in English and uh, Gurmukhi, and a lot of it is informed from the WHO and CDC and other reputable organizations. So please um, do check that out. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry to cut you guys off. This has been such a fruitful and delightful conversation to be a part of um, and to be a listener in. Um, as we are nearing the end of this panel, um, I'd like to direct anyone whose questions were not addressed due to time constraints um, to either head to our Twitter or Facebook page um, and we'll be sure to um, ask our panelists um, to have their input. Um, we are planning on having a follow-up panel in a couple of months, um, so please do look out for that. Um, yeah, just to wrap things up, on behalf of Sikri, I'd like to thank uh, Brinder Singh, Majotkar, and Sharandeep Singh for both their service to the communities that they each individually live in, uh, for living out Sikh values, and for making time to connect um, with the Sikh world on behalf of Siddha Uh And thank you again also to our Isangit. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, uh, for spending some time with us. Um, please tune in for our next webinar uh, on Mother's Day, May 10th, titled Blessed Mothers, where guests will be speaking about how Sikhi has informed their ideas of motherhood, the challenges, and the triumphs. Uh, today's webinar will be ending now. Vaigruji ka khalsa, vaigruji ki fateh. Vaigruji ka khalsa, vaigruji ki fateh. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.